0: bringing you some of the best speakers and teachers from across the globe their words inspiring you towards your best days this is the learn develop live podcast speakers hub good morning world this is the learn develop live podcast with the speakers hub i'm the host director and ceo of the show chris jacks how are you doing today what's new and how's your week going so far So what are we going to learn today, I may hear you say? Well, we're going to talk about emotions. Now, emotions can be seen as something so confusing that you just leave yourself hiding until they disappear. So trying to work out exactly what is going on. Bren Brown has spent the past two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame and empathy. Here is Bren with some of what she has discovered during that time.
1: It's really about self-awareness. We cannot be more connected to other people than we are to ourselves. If we don't understand our emotional landscape, if we don't understand what's driving our thinking and driving our behaviors, because let me make no mistake, emotion is at the wheel. Thinking and acting are not riding in the front seat shotgun. They are hogtied in the trunk. Emotion drives. We are emotional beings. Heart is sea. Language is shore. Whatever sea includes will hit the shore. To me, what that means is our heart is this sea of expansiveness, of emotion, of experience. And at some point, that emotion and experience needs to bump into language what language means to us as a social species. I just did not understand. Maybe 15 years ago, we collected survey research from right over 7,000 people. And we asked them this question, write a list of every emotion that you can recognize in yourself when you're feeling it and you can name it. And the average number was three, happy, mad, and sad. And I started to ask myself, what does it mean if we don't have a vocabulary that's as expansive as the human experience? I have been working on this damn framework for cultivating connection with ourselves and each other for 22 years. It started as my dissertation research, but I couldn't figure it out. I thought when I wrote The Gifts of Imperfection, I had it figured out. I didn't. I thought I had it with Daring Greatly and Braving the Wilderness. I didn't. And then I thought, actually, I resigned myself to never being able to build a framework. I just, it wasn't going to happen. Things that I was learning as I started doing this research one, I was wrong about a couple of things. One was, along with probably every other emotion researcher I know, I have said this sentence a thousand times, we should learn how to recognize emotion in ourselves and others. I do not think it is possible to learn how to recognize emotion in other people. I think that's bad business. No matter what behavior you were engaged in, if I saw you raging and throwing the books behind you, if I saw you sobbing, there are 50 emotions that present each of those ways. And so I'm going to have to make a ton of assumptions. And what am I going to shove the experience of my employee who's upstairs crying and who's 25 black and a single mom, I'm going to shove her experience in front of my lens, which is, you know, mid fifties, you know, like completely different. So the idea of walking in someone else's shoes and trying to understand what they're feeling, I believe has no merit. I think the call is much more difficult and much more powerful. And that is to ask the person for their story of what it's like in their shoes and to believe them. So the problem becomes why do, why do we think we have to walk in other people's shoes? The problem is the believing part. And the problem is in not believing her when she tells me her story. Because it either challenges what I want to be true about the world. Or it challenges my idea that there's just one experience of the world. Or it makes me accountable in some way that makes me uncomfortable. So, when I started doing this research, I came across a concept from Buddhism that I remember reading many years ago. I didn't it didn't hit me when I came across it this time. I thought this is the piece missing for the framework on meaningful connection. And it's the concept of the near enemy. And what a near enemy is, it is an emotion or a virtue that looks and feels and masquerades like the thing that we are looking for or want to be, but it sabotages it. And the reason I needed this concept was because when you study connection for as long as I have, what you realize is that the far enemy of emotions it's not the problem. The problem is not when I call you and I'm suffering and you're, you know, instead of giving me compassion, you're cruel. That's easy. Like I get it, like I just got punched in the face. The problem is the near enemy. When I call you and I'm desperate for connection and the near enemy of compassion is pity. And so you pity me and feel sorry for me And it seems like everything should be okay when that's over, but I feel more alone and more disconnected, and there's no meaningful connection between us. So the big finding for me for this book was re-examining the concept of near enemy and that the far enemy of connection is disconnection, right? That makes sense. But the near enemy of connection is control. So if I see this 25-year-old woman crying and I say, what's going on? And she says, my kid's sick again. Her dad can't get her. I missed a day of work yesterday. To really be with her, I can't try to control the situation. I can't say, oh, we can handle that. I can't, you know, what I, just to be with her means being in connection with her. God, that's so hard. Those are, those feel like impossible choices. Emotions are not shared and discussed they're exploited and vulnerability is not mutual and reciprocal it's leveraged and i don't want to make it sound too machiavellian because i thought about my own life when like if one of my kids came home and said god i got in trouble today for being you know disrespectful because i got caught talking during a lecture connection would be like tell me what was going on but i don't go to connection sometimes sometimes i go to control which is you know what to get your ass over there and send an email to that teacher and apologize for being disrespectful. And I want to, you know, we control situations when we start to move from being other focused what was this like for my child in that situation to being self focused? But it's sneaky. Your enemies are sneaky because they masquerade. After your research into worry you conclude that worry isn't a helpful coping mechanism. So how do we avoid these traps? The people who studied research worry said that worriers, those of us who do it often, have three things in common that make it worse. One, we think it's helpful. It is not. Two, we believe that we actually have no control over it, that it's not a choice. It is absolutely a choice and we can change it. And three, we worry about worrying and we ruminate about worrying, which exacerbates worry. Worry is defined as a chain of negative thoughts about bad things that might happen in the future. So I think when you study people who worry and who've overcome worry, what I've learned is reality checking and perspective taking. Is this line of thought helping or hurting? Do I have enough data to freak out? And if I do have enough data to freak out, will that be helpful to me to freak out? And so those have become my questions every time. One, do I have enough data to expend this amount of energy? No, I I just don't have enough data to be spending this resource. And even if I do have enough data, is this going to help me? And the answer is always no. It's really about self-awareness. We cannot be more connected to other people than we are to ourselves. And while we desperately seek to build cultures of connection, to build trust in teams, to do the right thing by the people that we serve, if we're not connected to self, if we don't understand our emotional landscape if we don't understand what's driving our thinking and driving our behaviors because let me make no mistake emotion is at the wheel thinking and acting are not riding in the front seat shotgun they are hogtied in the trunk emotion drives we are emotional beings do not try to forge connection with others or build a culture of connection until you are fully connected and know yourself that's the favor you can do to all of us we will do almost anything to not feel pain including causing other people pain it's so much easier to hurt than to feel hurt i don't, uh, you know it's just part of our humanity i guess we need to understand where the hurt the sorrow the despair the anguish the rage is coming from so that we can not work it out on other people on an individual level or a collective level.
0: That video can be found on YouTube and is called Bren Brown's Life Advice on Emotions Will Leave You Speechless as published by the Motivation Thrive YouTube channel. If getting yourself moving in the right direction is what you'll be doing right now, then let's talk soon. You can reserve your exclusive spot on the Learn development of calendar by going to ldlcool.com. And book your very own slot right now. Now that is all for today. Enjoy the rest of your week. And I will see you in the next one. The Learn, Develop, Live podcast. Life is too short for just sitting in your pants eating cheesy watsits.
1: Thanks for listening. You can find more motivation and inspiration at learndeveloplive.com. And we'll be back to inspire you again tomorrow.